Welcome to another episode of Consider This. My name is Justin Ebert, and I'm one of the ministers here at Sunnybrook. And I have the wonderful privilege of being in the studio with my brother, Dylan Gardner, a Sunnybrook kid, grew up here and is now playing baseball at Oklahoma State. Um, Lance Berkman, a former professional baseball player, now a professional man of leisure. You, you, you coach some baseball now, right? Well, I was coaching. Uh, oh. Then I quit. Yeah, this, you quit? Yeah, I quit this last year. So okay. I'm now a man of leisure. A professional man of leisure. That's good. Mm-hmm. You get to visit your friends in Stillwater, mm-hmm. Oklahoma. Exactly. Really, really awesome vacations happening in Stillwater. Oklahoma. For sure. No, it's a garden <laughs> spot. Ranch exactly. <laughs> and Matt Holliday, a current Oklahoma State assistant coach to his more talkative older brother, Josh. That's right. <laughs> okay, first most important question. Okay, you guys ready for this? Were the baseballs juiced in 2019 in the major leagues? I think so. I mean, I didn't think so until uh, the I was watching one of the playoff games on TV and Josh Reddick hit a ball that hit the roof at Minute Maid Park. And I played there for 12 years and I never saw that happen one time. And there were some guys – that were pretty hefty. <laughs> Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire. I never, no, nobody ever came close to hitting the roof where he hit it. And now they, you know, there's a lower section of the roof mm-hmm. and then a, then an upper section, which mm-hmm. is where he hit it. There, then nobody had ever approached that. So I believe that yes, they were they were juiced. You know, as a nine a nine hole hitter for the Houston Astros, that's a little surprising. You know, it I, is. I think the no they, offense, they Josh. Had the stats <laughs> no, for the AAA was the first year the AAA ever used Major League Baseball was this year. And uh, I think the home run percentage in AAA was up, I think, 45% or, or more uh, home runs in AAA than they had last year. And all the other minor leagues were pretty pretty much the same as the year before. So they're so. testing some things out. Yeah, so I, I don't know that it was on purpose, um, but I do think that there was – They got a hot batch. They, they, get, they, they, they got a Costa hot Rica, batch. yeah. Maybe they changed muds. You know, no, they didn't tell anybody. They got yeah. the, the bouncing like mud. Like Flubber, like yeah. the – yeah, what was that movie? Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's the name that's of the movie. It. Yeah. Well, professor, that's it, yeah. They uh, Then they – some people were saying they switched back for the playoffs because there were some balls that during the regular season had the same – um, off bat velocity and yeah, but I think the weather up. might have a you know I mean when you start getting cold, it starts getting colder. The ball doesn't seem okay. to carry as far. I don't know atmospheric conditions. There you go. Yeah. Well, um, Dylan, this one's for you. Okay, <laughs> you may not you may not know this. Um, <clears throat> do you think Matt touched home plate in two thousand seven? I'm gonna go with yes. You have to say yes yeah. because he'll make you run if you say anything else. I don't know about that, but <laughs> if. Uh, it came back that he didn't. That'd be kind of bad. And okay. I, yeah. Lance, did Matt touch home plate? Uh, Matt, I don't, don't know if he did him. or not, but <laughs> if he didn't, he paid for it with his face. <laughs> so they should just give it to him anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, you know, it, and people th- seem to want to blame this on me. <laughs> Talk about positional atonement. I mean, he atoned for not touching the plate uh-huh. by putting yeah. his face in the ground uh, yes. full speed. Yes, I paid the it price. It looked for like that. it felt good when you hit. No, it wasn't great. Uh, in fact, I missed most of that celebration. Uh, With a coma? Oh, that yeah, a concussion? The trainer <laughs> wouldn't let me partake because I don't think he felt good about my uh, state of mind. So, Well, you ran towards the other dugout to yeah, celebrate. Yeah. So that may- <laughs> oh, I watched that clip a few times. Yeah, There's, there's so. a lot out there, a lot of opinions. There's a lot of hate towards me on that. I'm like, 
What are you supposed to <laughs> yeah, do? Yeah, yell at the umpire. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I guess Tim McClellan's not not around anymore for them to. I want to tell Padres fans <laughs> it's time to move on. Like, yeah. Seriously. Hey, the good thing is, you know, you've moved on. The so. problem is they haven't been good since, so it's like oh, that's their. That was their one chance. Yeah, like they're clinging, still clinging to yeah. that. Yeah. So you get a little bit. They're they're, they're bitter. Okay. Uh, where did Big Puma come from? Is uh, that something that's been with you forever? Is that self-proclaimed? I mean, isn't it obvious where it yeah, came from? I was going to say, when I walked know. in the door, were you not thinking, like, struck <laughs> was by I thinking, like, ooh, athleticism? He definitely looks like a Puma Powerful, cat. yeah. Like, secretive, kind of svelte. It, you're wearing an elephant, so. Well, I yeah. But, <laughs> no, it, it uh, I was actually, you know, on the radio in Houston, and they were t- there was a discussion about the – dearth of nicknames in the game of baseball and so they were saying hey do you have a nickname i said well not one i really like i mean uh but they said well if you could give yourself a nickname what would it be and i said well big puma (laughs) and they said why is that and i said because i'm sleek and powerful and fast Mm -hmm. and you know a little secretive and yeah um they thought that was a riot, <laughs> and so they started calling me that on air, and then before you know it, it, it just stuck. So. That's not often that you get to keep the nickname you've chosen. That's true, and it's, yeah, and I'm not really kind of a a self-aggrandizer, uh, if that's the term, but uh, that was one of those deals where sort of innocently joking around, then it turned into this, you know, deal that I have yet to shed. I, I can't really get rid of it, so. <laughs> that's great. Okay, <clears throat> next question. What is the most important chapter in the Bible? The most important chapter in the Bible, Dylan, tell us. I want to hear everyone's answer, so be ready. John chapter 3. John 3. Why John 3? Why, why is Jesus talking to Nicodemus? From that. Oh, okay. Yep. So you really have a favorite verse yeah. in your kind of... That's what I, my fallback was. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, everyone will have thoughts about that. We'll come back later. Big Puma. For me, it may be 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and the reason for that, I mean, there's no, like, um, I mean, it's not a necessarily a gospel chapter, but one of the things that, that I had trouble with growing up was, um, you know, I was I tell people I overcame a drug problem. I got drugged to church every time the doors opened, <laughs> and <laughs> my, uh, so, but we went to the Church of Christ, which was, like, super mm-hmm. conservative, and everybody's going to hell every mm-hmm. Sunday. And then, you know, like the whole church would come down for, you know, at the altar call and that sure. sort of thing. Um, and so I, I had a hard time as a kid, like, and even into my young adulthood thinking about, all right, well, if you become a new creation in Christ, then why do you still sin? Like, why is there s- still sin? If you're a new creation, if mm-hmm. you're, and even like in, in first John, uh, where, where John talks about, if you uh, say you're a believer, yeah. then you won't continue to sin. You yeah. know, like how in the world do you kind of square those concepts? And so, in First Corinthians chapter three, uh, which I'm not, you know, this this is the Bible according to Lance. So take this with a <laughs> grain of salt. Um, you know, there's this discourse in there that where Apollos versus Paul, the the church was in this. Uh, division about well who was better because some people had received their faith from the teaching of Paul and Mm -hmm. some had received it from Mm -hmm. Apollos and so they're they're tearing the church apart based on this kind of silly argument and so Paul addresses that and he and he says look I mean the foundation is Christ and then on that foundation every person builds 
and some people build well and mm -hmm. some people build poorly some people build with you know wood hay and stubble yes. some people build with precious stones and and precious metals and it says every man's work will be tested by fire mm -hmm. uh, you know at, at the judgment and it says that uh, you know some people's work will be consumed and those people will will be saved but basically by the skin of their teeth or as though one mm -hmm. running from a burning building or they're just you know it's like you get this image of like they just they're barely saved <laughs> but they they are saved based on the foundation that they have mm -hmm. in jesus christ and then the other people will you know receive reward like not only will they be saved but they will you know there's some reward that they'll receive and i know that you know that verse is really i think probably addressing teachers you know you have two teachers that mm -hmm. are building on this foundation and trying to further the cause of Christ. But my way of thinking, if it applies to teachers, then it also should apply to everybody. You know, mm -hmm. like if that's the standard for teachers and it could be, it should be the standard for us as well. So how that helped me kind of understand the gospel is, you know, you're, you're, you're saved through faith alone, not because of what you do, but then once you are saved, you have this foundation that's Jesus and then you're building your life is a reflection of from that point forward, you're building on that foundation yeah. and your life reflects whether you're building well or poorly. And mm -hmm. you know, there's a judgment as to the separation of the sheep and the goats. And then there's like the, you know, I think that what is it? The white throne judgment or whatever that where okay. Now every man's works are going to be examined mm -hmm. and yes, you're saved, but there's this either, loss or gain based upon how you live so that is why that first corinthians 3 is so fundamental to my understanding of what it means to be a christian mm -hmm. is that we're saved through faith alone uh but then when you are saved now your works start to come into play yeah as, there's this ex there's yeah. still this expectation that you're going to actually obey god and what right. that looks like yeah and so anyway that that's i know that's long-winded and and that whole deal but uh it really helped me get my mind around the truths of Christianity. So for me, that's that's the most important passage in the Bible. That's good. That's good, Matt. Uh, I was uh, I was thinking Genesis three. I mean, I, I think Adam and Eve screwed this whole deal up, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, we yeah. would be living in perfect harmony if they yeah. hadn't eaten that fruit. That's Bla true. Blame Tim McClellan for the yeah, for the call exactly. and blame Adam and Eve for all. We'd the be sin. sitting here <laughs> naked and not worried about it. That's right. We would be doing this podcast naked, and yeah. there would be nothing to be ashamed of. <laughs> but great. you know, so I like it. Uh, they screwed it up in Genesis three, and <laughs> now we're waiting for Jesus' return, as we talked about this morning, mm -hmm. and uh, so we can get things restored. Come on. Uh, I'm 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, it kind of explains the gospel and talks about, Paul talks about um, if, if the resurrection isn't true, your faith is futile. If, and so everything for me points, everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Everything after the gospels um, are a reaction to what Jesus did. And so if Jesus didn't actually raise from the dead, then I don't really be necessarily believe the Bible's true. I don't even know if there's God. And so... Um, for me, the resurrection of Jesus is at the key, and 1 Corinthians 15, I think, communicates that really well. Okay, what I want to hear from you guys is tell us just a little bit of how you started following Jesus. Um, what, what were some key moments in your life um, that really changed, that you started being fully devoted, really going after Jesus with your life? Who were some key people through your life or your careers that um, really impacted you? Uh, I would say my story is a little little like Lance's. I was kind of drugged to church, so um, growing up in the church, I you know constantly heard the word, um, was surrounded by 
godly people that were continually pushing me that way. But uh, I would say it was probably more like junior high, high school time before I really understood um, the gospel, what it meant to like accept Jesus and then act in light of that. Um, and I had several people um, within Sunnybrook alone that poured into me. Um, actually, an older baseball player that uh, walked on at OSU, Griffith Rourke, was a guy that really um, spoke life to me, encouraged me to, um, you know, stay on my faith and um, really plug into it to a deeper community. Um, so I would say that time frame is really when I began to follow Jesus. Uh, I accepted him much younger, but um, didn't didn't really understand fully what it meant sure. to 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 live in light of that. So um, yeah. Well, somebody who's seen you grow up from when you were this tall to now this tall, um, <clears throat> I have recognized, I mean, more than most students that I've wow. ministered to, somebody who really um, loves the Lord with all your heart. And I noticed that in high school. You know, there's not a lot of high schoolers I meet that have their lives really centered on Jesus and want everything in your life to come from that. And I, I've seen that in you and the fruit of that now as you're in college and beyond, so... Really, Dylan, you're the reason this is all happening here today. So, <laughs> way to go, man. Dylan. Way yeah, to go. Thanks. You want me to go first? I don't care. Um, so I was I was a little bit different story. Uh, my dad uh, was the baseball coach here, and um, we didn't we didn't go to church. Um, he was raised in a in a Catholic church. Uh, he had he was. In, in Pennsylvania, uh, his experience with church, uh, he tells stories of the nuns beating him with uh, <laughs> rulers uh, <laughs> to keep him in line. And, and uh, I don't think he had the, the greatest experience with church as a, as a young man. And uh, we, just, we just didn't go to church much um, at all, really, maybe on, on Christmas or, or uh, holidays. But um, I uh, always had, a, as a child, I always felt the presence of God, but didn't really know what to do with it or, or much about Jesus or the Bible. Um, always kind of steered clear. I was a kid that didn't like to be embarrassed, so I didn't really want to go to many church things just because I didn't know much about the Bible and was nervous that I'd get called upon or um, get called out. Um, so as I got a little bit older and into, into high school and in the minor leagues, um, I was curious uh, about... Um, pursuing a relationship with Jesus didn't know again didn't know much about it I got in the minor leagues uh, baseball chapel which is what we had and have in, in, in baseball um, I had some young some players on on the teams that would would invite me to baseball chapel and, and it seemed like a, a place where I could go and, and not worry about being called out or, or uh, singled out and so uh, I had some a couple a couple guys um, that I a guy named Seth Taylor and a guy named Jay Jones, who were a little bit older than me, they went to college and, and uh, were in the minor leagues at the time and uh, kind of took me under their wing. And uh, I, I began to learn and, and feel more comfortable about um, what the Bible said and, and started to study the Bible and started to understand who Jesus was and um, how the whole thing worked. And, and uh, so I, it was kind of a, a progressive mm -hmm. uh, deal. It wasn't kind of a, an overnight uh, conversion or, or sort of a... Um, so I learned more and then uh, ha began to make, you know, you, God placed people and in, in pastors and uh, moving around all the time. We, we went to a lot of different churches and, and met a lot of different people that had a big impact on my um, walk with Jesus. And I remember uh, 2000, I think it was seven, 
um, we, went, we got a chance to go to a retreat in, in Arizona and Matt Chandler was uh, the speaker there and, and uh, got a chance to be get to know him. That was kind of before he became uh, really, Matt Chandler. Po- really, po- yeah, really popular. It was um, and, and just the, the weekend, the retreat we had, it was, it was pretty impactful on my life. And um, so, you know, I, it was and then, you know, I got a chance to play with Lance and Adam Wainwright, uh, two of the the better, stronger Christian men that I know, and and be impacted by them, and um, and so it's been kind of a God has placed a lot of different people in my life, and and uh, so it's been really a, a cool experience for me to to uh, as you look back to see um, just kind of how God's unfold this plan for my life. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean for me, I was uh, raised a Christian home. Like I said, we we went we were old school, like. You know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Which Come on. I don't even know if they have a Wednesday. <laughs> we night do church. here. Wow. We don't have Sunday night church. We do the youth group. On yeah. Wednesdays. So I mean, Sunday morning was the deal. Then Sunday night you could be a little more casual. <laughs> Wednesday night, you know. But we we were there, and uh, the advantage of that is you get you gain a lot of good knowledge of good Bible teaching and a good base in Christianity. I'll, I'll never forget one of the first experiences I had in the minor leagues is, you know, we, we had this Bible study and there was a dude from California and we were talking about, and I referenced Noah's Ark and I could tell like the guy had no idea what I was talking about. And I was like, what? You've never heard of Noah's Ark? And he's like, yeah, I'm from California. He's like, oh, okay. I got it. Um, But that wasn't my problem. I mean, I was churched to the max. So, um, but the danger that you have when you're in that environment is it becomes like, you know, it's so familiar that it just is what you do and what you know. And so, uh, when I got to college, of course, I was all about being a baseball player and, and got off into doing some of those things that baseball players like to pursue and, and really was, um, you know, not living. My life didn't really reflect what I said I believed. And I believe at that point, you know, I, I don't question my salvation at 11 years old when I was baptized and I really did feel the weight of sin and I felt like, you know, I knew beyond just – uh, an intellectual ascent that, mm-hmm. that Jesus was, was Lord and what he had done and all that. But it, there was an element to where I felt like um, it was, it was just a, a lot of, a lot of head knowledge basically. And so uh, when I get my testimony, uh, there's a story I share. Like when I was with Houston, we had a great pitcher by the name of Roy Oswalt. And he is uh, a guy that is from a small town in Mississippi called Ware, Mississippi. And cool. I, met him I was like where's where and he said it's just south of possum neck so I mean it's like <laughs> I mean this guy is his country is a stump and so we're out in the outfield one day and during batting practice and I hear that we hear this boy like Drew's sitting there talking and and uh, shagging balls and the guy we hear this guy like Roy Roy we's kin we's kin folk you know and we turn around and look and there's a guy like it's August. He's got on a flannel shirt, uh-huh. you know, and yep. and overall, I don't know if he had on overalls, but you get the picture. I mean, he looked yeah. like he was right off the set yeah. of Deliverance. And so, uh, I was like, Roy, I mean, this guy's got to be an uncle or something, right? I mean, you know, he's like, I don't know who that guy is. So anyway, he didn't. He wanted Roy to come over there and sign an autograph, but we didn't end up going over there. We just BP was over with, so we went inside. And I got to thinking about it later. I was like, here's a guy that shows up to the game. And he's screaming at Roy, and he, he probably knows everything there is to know about Roy, his wins and losses, ERA, you know, how long he's played, knows where he's from. Heck, he even claimed to be related. Mm-hmm. But the reality is he didn't really know Roy, and Roy didn't know him. And so this guy, like, knew a lot about Roy but didn't really, you know, have this personal interaction with him. Uh, and so that was kind of like where I felt like I was when I was in college. And so I had a, 
the guy that ended up being my roommate, him, we had a great apartment of four guys. And so the guy that, uh, one of the guys that was in there, he's actually my brother. I liked him so much. I married his sister. He's my brother-in-law now. (laughs) Nice. Uh, But he was a guy that came in and my image of Christians at that point in my life was like some little nerdy guy sitting in the corner reading his Bible or in the library. And that was, I mean, I was like a dude and I wanted to play baseball Mm -hmm. and I was like, I, you know, that, that kind of stuff. I'm not into it, but this dude comes in and he is a dude like he could whip your buzz. Dad played in the NFL for six years. Like he's a big, strong guy, but he was different. Like the way he lived was different. And, uh, we knew immediately, obviously he was a Christian, but he, the, the language that he used, the things that he chose to watch and not watch, like he was just different. And so it really started to impress me and make an impact on me. Like, okay, I say I'm a Christian yet. My life looks like this. He's definitely a Christian because this is what his life looks like. And I thought, you know, that's not right. Like, I got to get off the fence here. And if I'm claiming Christianity, then I need to live like it. Like, if there, if I got convicted or accused of being a Christian in a court of law, would there be enough evidence in my life to Mm -hmm. convict me? And at that time, there probably wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. But uh, just through Mm -hmm. watching him and seeing that example, nothing really that he said, just the way he lived, uh, had a big impact on me. So court sort of had this... I mean, I don't know if you want to call it a rededication or a greater understanding or a deeper sure. understanding of what it looked like to kind of walk out Christianity in life. And and from that point forward, I mean, it's not like it's been, you know, just you know straight up, but there's ups and downs in, in the sanctification process. But that's a seminal moment in my faith walk is just watching him kind of do life and, and really having a change of heart or really more of an engagement with God in a relational way as opposed to, just a you know a theological or I know a lot of facts mm-hmm. about God. <clears throat> so following Jesus is difficult. It's pretty clear from everything in the scriptures, everything we know as followers. But what are some of the unique challenges to following Jesus in you know a competitive world of sports? You know we've been in we've all been in dugouts, clubhouses. We kind of know locker room speech and what athletes are about. So what are some of the unique challenges to following Jesus in college baseball or pro baseball? I would say in college, you're... Um, Not that Matt would know anything about college baseball <laughs> other than coaching. Bypass that. Correct. Yeah. Uh, I would say in college, in my roughly three years of being in it, um, would be, this would be a point in your life where you're maybe getting the most outside, um, like, cultural forces thrown at you at once. So... You're, you're forced to um, make a decision about a path that you want to choose post-college, like a career. Um, yeah. you're What's your major? What are you going to do when you yeah, graduate yeah. thousands of times exactly. over? Exactly. Um, partying's a big you know, part of college, and at least from my experience in high school, that wasn't that wasn't there. So like that was thrown in my face my first year. Um, you've got a lot of things that constantly want your time, like a lot of uh, things on, on campus that constantly want your time. And when you play a sport, Obviously, that takes a, a large portion of it. So, um, managing your time becomes a, a really big thing. Um, I would just say, like the the tougher thing would for me would would have been saying no to those those outside um, forces, especially like with time management. I I continually got frustrated my first year because I wasn't able to be in church as much as I wanted, simply due to just a crazy busy schedule with class and with um, you know baseball in the spring and road games and so. Yeah, it put you in a hard spot. I remember that, you know, meeting and like, I don't even know if I want to do this. You yeah. know, I'm kind of, I'm sitting here and not 
doing what I really want to be doing and do I even want to play baseball more but here you are you're still playing Mm -hmm. right you're still following Jesus so found ways to to prioritize Mm -hmm. that in your life yeah yeah I think I what I learned was that while while church is a a key part of the um you know Christian life that that church community can be found outside of the church Hmm. itself the actual building um so you know, my church may look different on a Sunday morning before a 12 o'clock game than it would be, you know, in the springtime compared to the fall. Um, and my community of believers may look a little different on the baseball team or uh, on campus than it would within within the church itself. Sure. So. Unique challenges to following Jesus in pro ball. You know, I, I think uh, there's a, uh, a tension between um, – interacting and and away from the field with guys and and being in their lives um, where you want to be you know God is for the sick right not for the healthy and so like Jesus came for the the sick and so you know I always thought you know I want to be in these guys' lives so but after the game if if you know where's the line separate when Mm -hmm. you go to a restaurant or a bar or whatever with them and spend time with your teammates to where it becomes, you know, you're, you want to be there, but at the same time, like, I don't really want to be there, you know? So it's, it's, to me, there was, there was some times where you're trying to figure out how do I, uh, jump into these guys' lives. Um, but also, uh, I don't, really want to be some of the places that they're at sure how do, you, how do you build a relationship without getting right. dragged down into right. it or right. feeling like hey i'm a christian and i look just like you you know yeah so i i thought that, that that there was some challenges to that um there's a couple stories where adam and i you know a f- teammate of ours that we had kind of committed to trying to get more in his life and uh you know, he, he, he took us to a couple of places <laughs> where we were lucky to make it out of um <laughs> But, you know, I, I just think that that was, that was something. And, and just the, the temptation to fall into the trap of idolizing baseball and, and mm-hmm. making the whole thing about you and being told your self-worth is dictated on how many hits you got that night and how you feel about yourself is based on uh, how well you're doing on the stat sheet or whether you're living up to your contract. Or um, there's some idolatry um, that the world pushes – um, I think in pro sports that sometimes can be hard to get out from under. Um, so I, I think those are a couple things that, that come to mind of, of some of the things that I struggled with um, as a Christian, as a professional baseball player. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would agree. The second thing you said is probably because for me, I really I was pretty self-focused. So yeah, my teammates were like, yeah, I never left the hotel. <laughs> but I think just the the whole identity piece like you're and that, that's not unique to baseball it's whatever you do and once I, I think what's hard is it's well it's almost like you know everybody knows they're gonna die but they really don't you know it's like you kind of put that off it's when you play baseball like you it, you kind of have this mental assent to the fact that your career is going to end but you don't ever think it really is going to happen and then all of a sudden it does and you your legs kind of get kicked out from under you because you're like oh I'm not important anymore I'm not worth anything anymore like I you have while you're playing and while you're able to perform you have this tremendous value to the team to the organization to a city and you're lauded for that and you're celebrated for that and then all of a sudden it's like oh it's over with Mm -hmm. and like I got nothing Mm -hmm. and 
and your identity is wrapped up. As guys, I think that's a like I said, it's not sure, unique to sure. baseball. It is like we get a, a a lot of our identity based on what we do, mm-hmm. like what do you do for a living? You know, that that's kind of how you identify. And when that's stripped away from you, you know, it really reveals like, oh gosh, you know, I'm not in as good a place as I thought I was in, mm-hmm. and, and I really had more invested in that kind of an identity than I even realized that I had. And so I think that's a the the reason it's unique to a baseball player is because you're, you're dealing with it like in the middle of which you hope is the middle of your life, like in your 40s, where most people, I think, maybe experience that towards the end of their life, like when they go to retire at mm-hmm. 65 or 70, like you feel like, oh, I'm still a relatively young man, mm-hmm. but I have limited skills. What can I do? Like, where is my neck? Like, what am I doing for purpose going forward? Um, I think that's a real difficult challenge that guys don't even realize they're going to they're gonna be facing. Yeah. And we were talking about this morning. You see a lot of train wrecks after people get done playing mm-hmm. in, in people's personal lives mm-hmm. because it's a hard thing to deal with. Yep. Okay, so talk a little bit about that. <clears throat> you know, injuries have happened. You had to sit most of last year because of your thumb. Had a few injuries in your life. Mr. Big Puma, not as familiar with your I've had injury. eight knee surgeries and two shoulder surgeries. So you've had a couple, wow. just a 12 injuries. Um, yeah. <laughs> Or tra- being traded to, you know, places like Oakland New or New York. Um, <laughs> or both. Or both. Yeah. Um, or, the, you know, coming to the end of your career. How do, you, how do you deal with that? How have you done well with that at times? How have you struggled with that at times? You know, maybe share a story or in general. Me? Yeah. Whoever. Well, you yeah. can go. I mean, you know. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I've dealt well with it at any point. Like Each point, eight, it's like a renewing of the – Yeah, when I got traded to the Yankees, my wife almost left me, no joke, because she was like, you're miserable, like you're a bad wow. person. And I was wow. like, well, you're right. And so, fortunately, when I tried to – Matt, I called Matt that, that offseason. This is kind of a funny story. What really year was that? Me. 2010, I got okay. traded to the – I had knee surgery spring training, had okay. the worst year of my career, got traded about – you know, whatever the trade deadline was, July 31st, mm-hmm. up to New York. And I wasn't having a – I didn't do well with the Astros, and then I followed it up by not doing particularly well with the Yankees until we got to the postseason. Then I, there was a little bit of redemption there at the end, but it was a very difficult time. I've been – my whole career was in Houston. I've been there for 12 years. I'm a Texas guy, mm-hmm. and I'm in a completely alien environment up there. Um and so, yeah, it just didn't go well. And like I said, at the end, there was some positive things that came out of it from a performance standpoint, but just not a, not a great time. Um, and then I was a free agent at the end of the year, and so I was looking at my options thinking, okay, where would I really like to play? And at this point, Matt had gone to the Cardinals. And so – As a Cardinals fan, we'd just like to say thank you sure. for, for those decisions. Yeah. <laughs> and, but that's what I knew because, you know, we'd had such a great rivalry, but, you know, in the, in the early 2000s, in the middle 2000s, like, uh, that's where I wanted to play. That oh, was yeah. really the only place I wanted to play. Those so were I called, some fun series. Yeah, oh yeah, they were I great. Mean, probably maybe the most memorable as a kid growing up and watching those Cardinals Amazing. and Astros yeah. series were great. So I called Matt and I was like, "Dude, I'd like to, I'd like to come to the Cardinals and help me out, like talk to Mo or whatever." He's like, oh, "Okay, yeah, that'd be great," <laughs> you know. And I just, <laughs> just, just kind of like, "Okay, well, you know, if it happens, great. But if not, no big deal." As you can tell, Lance is a big storyteller, and <laughs> yeah. some of it. That is may not be, true. No, no, that There's is some true. fabrication 
I was more excited about it than, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, maybe cool. <laughs> but that's what you sounded like on the phone. I couldn't see you. Maybe you were running laps. I don't know. But it, to, to be fair to both of you, Pumas are known as lying cats. And from what I've seen of you in these 12 minutes that we've known each other, you are pretty mellow. So yeah, he is mellow. You that's in your heart and your mind, you may have been ecstatic, but could have come across as, oh, cool. That's yeah, fair. That's I think awesome. that's fair. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, but the to, so it, I ended up with the Cardinals, and that, that was a great thing. And, and God basically, like, ignored my just inability to get, get under – and still bless me even though I was just a train wreck at that point. And so – yeah, I mean, I'm not, I haven't handled it well. And there's, you know, I definitely have some regret as far as looking back and saying, man, I wish mm-hmm. I would have been better. I wish I'd have done a better job. I wish I'd have been, had a better attitude, been a better teammate or friend or whatever. Uh, but it didn't happen. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I think for me, um, my plan, you know, with the Rockies, and we had that successful run in, in 07, and, uh, you know, I was drafted by the Rockies and, and, you know, felt like I had a really good role in the team and comfortable with my my role and where the organization was going. Yeah, your role was to carry the organization. <laughs> I mean, that, so Hey, Matt, could you make sure we get to the playoffs every year yeah, and thank do you. well there? Could you hit 40 homers and drive 120 mm-hmm. every year and hit 350? So – uh, you know the the when that when I first got traded from the Rockies, um, that whole deal and and the way it kind of turned out and sort of the picture that was painted um, by certain people in the organization as to how it went down and 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 the way that all of a sudden it became a business and you go from thinking you can trust certain people and um, that that's where I'll be for my whole career and that's what I want you know I'm comfortable there and um, the way that whole thing went down. Uh, I was pretty disheartened and then you know getting traded to Oakland and then that whole uh, situation where I you know I wasn't going to be there long term I it was it was a t- t- hard facility to play in it's um, it's it, it was just a it was a kind of a rough time for um, for me kind of that in between free agency and being there and we weren't very good and well none of us um, believes in purgatory but in baseball <laughs> that's where that is that is purgatory. Oh, oh that's great so um that whole thing was a little difficult because i thought i was going to be in colorado long term mm-hmm. and then by the grace of god they traded me to the cardinals in in july um things went really well there um ended up getting a chance to sign back there and, and spent a lot of time there and, and we had a great group of guys and got a chance to be around a lot of awesome guys and and uh so that it turned out to be a blessing, but at the time it was it was hard to um, to deal with the sort of being painted as the greedy guy that just wants the money and mm-hmm. didn't want to had no loyalty to the Rockies mm-hmm. and and how that whole whole thing went down was was not accurate to what really happened and so um, trying to make sense of that and then like Lance said like when your career comes to an end there's no way to know how you're going to handle it until you it's there you know and I remember we used to sit in those. Uh, meetings in spring training uh, where these guys would come in, these former players and, and baseball alumni, and mm-hmm. they would they would talk and and you know about how they're preparing people. And I remember thinking I wasn't even listening, right? You know, because you, you just don't really see that as you. Like you, you I, I guess you, like you said, you know you're not going to play forever, but you're going to play for a while. Mm-hmm. And so you never, I never really even listened and and just kind of scoffed at the notion that that. Uh, um, that it would be difficult and that, you know, that, that 
there may be a transition to to post uh, playing career. Um, and so, you know, I think it's it's like Lance said, like, you know, there's there's difficult times with um, when when that was your deal. You knew in, in March you were going somewhere and then in April you were going somewhere and, and sort of you had this schedule that 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 you knew was going to happen. Yep. And um, so I, I think that it, it is difficult when you you know, Lance played for we both played for roughly 15 years and you know for me five years in the minor leagues so since I was 18 years old every March I would go into spring training and every April you're going to play a season and um, you know you you enjoy the off season well now you know you're basically in the off season all the time and <laughs> the next thing you know you're living under a bridge I mean that's <laughs> in Houston yeah. it's flooding a lot yeah actually. Um, so it I, I mean I think it, it, it can be difficult um, it's like you know, Lance and I talk about finding finding impact and ways to um, fulfill your your calling and and what that even looks like and how to discern God's calling on your life. You know, I think as a baseball player, you you feel like you know, like God has me playing baseball and these are my people and um, this is my ministry and and then all of a sudden um, you're kind of left with well, what's my ministry now? Like who you know? And and so I think that there is. Um, I, I definitely think that the transition is is uh, maybe something that the guys aren't as prepared for as 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 maybe even you think you are. Hmm. <clears throat> um, Dylan, start off. I want as we wrap up this podcast, um, you get a, probably all of you get a lot of chances to talk to young athletes, to um, people who are believers, trying to play sports at all levels and have aspirations of of greatness um, what do you tell them as far as ways that they can practically um, be faithful and um, live out their faith in their sport or in their um, activity that they do what are what are things you tell them how do you encourage people to live out their faith in Jesus um, now that you are wise and old and as you are older than them <laughs> some of them um, what do you tell them if I was to go back and speak to uh, my high school self, I would probably tell myself to be a little more bold, um, a little more intentional with the guys around me. I think I, I think I did a, a, a decent job of um, staying in a, in a good community and, and being in the Word, but I don't think I did a great job of pouring into my peers around me. Like I had my, I had my guys, my best friends, right, but. I don't really know that I knew them on a super spiritual level. Um, and so I, I would just tell like high school baseball player me, get to know your teammates better and like ask them tough questions and be open about like where you're at um, in your growth as well. Cause I know that the guys that spoke to me that were, you know, now my, or what I am, how old I am now, um, it was like essential to my growth. They were, you know, I was able to relate because they were able to sit there and say, you know, I've been in your shoes, and um, here's what helped me. Here's here's where you know things turned around for me because I, you know, I stayed faithful and I, I continued to pursue good community. So, yeah, that's probably probably what I would tell younger me if I could. Okay. <clears throat> well, I always tell guys, look, I mean, one unique perspective that you have when you become a professional athlete is you gain all that the world has to offer whether it be wealth or fame or you know notoriety and mm -hmm. and and uh you know just th there's really nothing that is withheld from you in terms of 
you achieve what the world values mm-hmm. and what you learn. We won a World Series, played in All Star games, and I mean, just whatever. Like you've done it all, but you really understand because you had gotten to experience that that it's empty. Like it's all of that stuff is just a passing. You know, like what? What is the? It's the just we're, our mm. our lives are a mist. Like it's a breath gone here today, gone tomorrow. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the mm-hmm. word of the Lord stands forever. And that is very much played out in your experience. And so, what I try to and it's hard because you can just like I mean, just like Matt yeah. was talking about yeah, with yeah, those yeah. old guys that came in, and you're just kind of like, oh, whatever, yeah, right? Whatever, in one ear and out the other. But when you just know it because you've experienced it, and it's like, golly, if I could just take what I know and put it inside of someone and you try to tell them like, look, I mean, the Bible talks about it all the time, but truly there's no satisfaction outside of a relationship with Christ. I mean, there's no satisfaction outside of really knowing God, pressing in, allowing him to form you from the inside out. And that's it, basically. I mean, you're not going to experience that kind of peace or joy or fulfillment or purity or, you know, anywhere else. So, uh, that's kind of what I try to communicate to guys and whether they, you know, sometimes you got to stub your toe a little bit before mm-hmm. you realize, oh, wait a minute, maybe that guy knew what he was talking about. Just like when you're, like when my dad would tell me stuff, and you're like, oh, that's old man dad. You know, <laughs> the, the older I get, I'm like, oh, my dad knew exactly what he was talking about, and I should have listened to him a little bit more carefully. Yeah, I, I think, you know, as Dylan said, like the boldness piece, I think all of us would say that we wished we were bolder as younger people, right? I mean, um I, th- I think for me, I wished I had, en- had enjoyed maybe um, the game a little bit more. I, I think Lance and I were very similar in the fact that uh, a lot of times it was more of a relief when we had success than it was like mm-hmm. enjoying the game mm-hmm. part of it and and like hitting, getting a big hit and really enjoying the moment as opposed to just being relieved that you didn't strike out. Mm-hmm. And I think that I tell a lot of the players now, some of my friends that are grinding and they're, you know, you can just tell they're not having much fun playing the game mm-hmm. that someday they'll wish they had more fun, right? So the fact that it'll be over sooner than they think and the fact that it it isn't as big a deal as when you're in the middle of it, when you start to get outside and see, look back, it's not as life or death as it feels when you're in it. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, no, like for sure. You, you play in a fishbowl, s- yeah, and you, you realize s- once you get out of the fishbowl, oh, well, that's yeah. not that big a deal. You get these blinders yeah. on. It's yeah, and to- so, you, you know, and you feel the pressure and the weight of... What's your entire world? You yeah. feel, you feel like, and you feel like everybody in the world knows exactly what you did, and when you fail, they see exactly. You know, your yes. failures are on display. I mean, it's uh, and then you realize, oh, nobody even cares about yeah. baseball. And really, narcissistically, you can assume everyone's thinking about you. you right, know, everyone's eyes are on you. Everyone's consumed by how you performed, and you realize, like, I can't even remember seven games ago what yeah. I did, let and, alone. And so, I, I, like I said, I, I try to tell those guys, like. You know, try to enjoy it a little bit. You know, it's a game. Like, you, you're you young. You get a chance to play a game. Like, you know, and, and so I think that that's something that, that uh, as I look back on my career, I wished I'd have um, enjoyed the, the the times that, that were good, that it's were crazy. fun. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, we, we know what we're looking at. We watched that game last night, and I couldn't tell you who went, like, two for four, yeah. who went 0 for four. I mean, I don't, I don't even know. We watched the whole game, and you just – so it's just it's a it's a perspective deal I think and I agree with you I mean I, I'm the same way looking back 
man, I wish I'd have enjoyed the process a little bit yeah. more. Okay, last question. <clears throat> In this next stage of life, for whatever that is to you guys, um, what are you praying, or how are you praying that God uses you for the kingdom? Um, what are you doing? What are you looking forward to? Uh, I think I, one of my prayers would be that I would just exemplify um, off the field and on the field someone who's just like fearless but is not wrapped up in their their performance like my identity is in Christ alone regardless of how I did that night or in the things I'm involved in off can you know outside of baseball um, and that that would just trickle down to my teammates as well and that they could realize like baseball is going to end at some point you know what am I just like you guys talked about what am I going to do after that what's where's my purpose at and if I can find purpose in Jesus Christ like right now it's going to transform how I you know go about my day to day and so sure. Uh, I, w- I would say, um, I, w- I guess, you know, God is not always, it's not always as clear what our next steps are as we'd like, right? I wish sort of <laughs> he handed us a script of what our life was supposed to, yes. you know, how our impact here, here's how you're going to impact the kingdom. This is what you're going to do next. Um, so I, I think for us, like, you feel like that he sort of gives you that with baseball. So here's your script. You're playing in the major leagues. These are your people. And, and that's this is your ministry and and I think like I said earlier like um, I think that it would be easy if God would kind of give you that and so I think you know just praying for clarity on on what's next and and how to have an you know an impact for his kingdom that um, I don't know I I guess for me I'm always questioning whether I'm uh, fulfilling my calling to to what I'm you know am I I know it's stupid, but am, am I doing enough? Sure. And and I know that that's not, you know, that that's not what he's, that's not his, his heart for me. But I, I think that just making sure, I, I just want to be uh, doing what his will, doing his will in my life and, and, and pray that God would make it clear to me what that is. I'm just praying for the return of Christ. <laughs> Come on. Because. I mean, that it would solve a lot of problems. Mostly your <laughs> knee pain. Right. <laughs> like, I have this, I am, I am expectantly looking forward to, like, just right now. I mean, there's really, that's what it's all about. So, that, awesome. I mean, I don't, I can't, cause just like Matt, I have no clue what's next. I don't feel any, like, you know, real strong push in one direction or the other. There's really no opportunity that's presenting itself. So, I'm like, okay, let's just go to heaven. let's do it that's awesome well i really appreciate you guys being here and i know um, our listeners will really enjoy this so hope you all did and if you have any more questions for us feel free to send them our way see you soon